0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I hope everybody's got something to share <laughs> that's not about work. Well, it can be Misery. about work, but it can be what, about um, whatever you want, actually.
1: Because it's our podcast and not, yours. not yours. Dump not yours. slags. <laughs>
0: Welcome back to another episode of the Fierce Females of History podcast Stories of Women That You Should Know About. I'm Erin. I'm Talissa.
2: And I'm Lucy. And we actually got that
0: right. <laughs> I know. And I, I, I can't help myself. I have to do a little groove every time. Yeah, there's some shoulder dancing going on. <laughs> there's got to be some shoulder action or some hip thrusting. Anyways, we're here. We're ready. We're tired, but we're pumped. Mm-hmm how is everybody doing this week? What do we got? What's on?
2: What's lacking? I saw a dog. Um, that's it. That's the story. (laughs) That's enough for me. That's it. That's the tweet. That's the podcast. But I was waiting for my Uber and this little poodle ran out of my building and it wasn't just a poodle. It was wearing, um, Overalls. It was like a cowboy <gasps> poodle. Cute. It was fantastic, and it just kind of did this little shake. It was he was very happy to be going for a walk. Uh, it was adorable. Yeehaw!
1: And weird. Do you think he knew <laughs> how much better he was than all the other dogs in that moment? Like, do you think they have any idea like how cool they are? He Definitely.
2: Was kind of, there was there was a little bit of a smugness to him. I would say. I love it. But happy. He was happy. You know. Confident of his place yeah. in the world. Yeah. We we love to see it.
0: <laughs> but it's true though, when you put on a pair of overalls, it, it is a game changer. Not only is it comfortable, but it's just this weird feeling. Like, am I a toddler? Am I about to paint the wall? I don't know, but I'm comfortable. Am I a farmer? I could do a cartwheel quite comfortably. I don't know. Yeah. It's
2: just something about overalls, so I don't blame that dog. Freedom to do cartwheels. Do you know what was be- the best part, though? All four of its legs were in the thing, so it had its two front legs in, like, this T-shirt sort of thing and its back mm-hmm. legs in pants. And then there was just a big hole at the back for its tail to go through. <laughs> I love that. I have an old
1: onesie. Um, it's really stretched and misshapen and really saggy. <laughs> but it has press studs and I wear it when I'm really, like, sad on my period or something. And it has this butt flap. <laughs> and for the first few months of our relationship, I, like, refused to wear it in front of, like, and the moment I knew I gave up was because I put my
2: butt flap onesie on. <laughs> I love that it's got press studs. Like, just, I'm just picturing you just putting on the press studs, you know, like, sad you want to move, move it, press, just. slowly and sadly click click click, <laughs> click click
0: click you know he's the one when you put on your butt flat onesie <laughs>
2: <laughs> so just a little bit of a content warning on this one this lady got up to some pretty interesting things in the bedroom so yeah, if you haven't had that chat with the kids and they're listening. I mean, I'd be surprised you're listening to this podcast for the kids, but still, you do you. But just letting you know, so there's no awkward moments. Let's
0: get this show on the okay. road, Lucy. Lucy. Lucy.
2: Lucy. Me, me, me. All right, this week I'm going to tell you about a woman called Rosaline Norton. Oh. Do you know anything about her? Graham Norton's mum. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. So she is also known as the Witch of Kings Cross. Oh. Kings Cross, Sydney. Mm-hmm. <gasps> Yay, another Aussie queen.
1: Oh, I'm a yep. bit scared though, a little bit.
0: Wait, was, okay, was, how do I phrase this, the season of Underbelly about King's Cross, was she covered?
1: I don't think so. Maybe. It was in the 90s, wasn't it, like, that era of King's Cross? Yeah. I, no, yeah. This is, that was not her
2: era. Oh, okay. So Rosalind Norton was born on me. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> with pleasure, Erin, <laughs> with fucking pleasure. <laughs> so... <laughs> So she was born on the 2nd of October 1917 in Dunedin, New Zealand. And she was born at 4:30 a.m. in the morning during a thunderstorm. Ooh. To a middle-class family, and she was the youngest of three girls, two sisters, Cecily and Phyllis. They're each more than 10 years older than her. Can you ever imagine naming your daughter Phyllis? Ooh. Like I know that I know that tastes change, but I just I don't understand how anyone could have ever thought that Phyllis it's a nice name. I just think it reminds me of the second half of
1: syphilis. And I just, I'm <laughs> not about that. But if you have that, that's okay.
0: okay. Maybe there was like someone cool and hip and trendy called Phyllis at the time.
1: Maybe. Yeah, maybe. 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 I don't know. I mean, people are calling their kids Khaleesi. Just saying. That's true.
2: Yeah. yeah. So she later says that she was born a witch with pointed ears, and that she had two blue marks on her left knee, which she says were signs that she was a witch. And she also later said that she had this strand of flesh just hanging from her body, which meant that she was a witch. What, does that mean? <laughs> which- <laughs> <laughs> what is? Ew.
0: <laughs> hang on. I need more. I need more. Ha- That's all that it says.
2: There's no more details.
0: What do you mean? Like from where from her body or just,
2: just a, all over? It didn't say everywhere that I read, just a strand of flesh. A Imagine strand. just like a skin tag or something. Wait,
0: hang on. Talisa, I'm sorry. You can turn your headphones <laughs> off. I just need some more detail. Like I'm picturing like like it's just like hanging. Like is it That's just like, like, like a giant too. tassel of, of skin? I'm sorry, Erin. Oh, I didn't I didn't it's research it's this flesh. particular thing. <laughs>
1: In and skin. <laughs> Very closely. Strand I mean, I think of
2: like, flesh. Technically, it could literally be an umbilical cord, which everyone has.
1: But, Google strand.
2: But that's what...
0: <laughs> hey, Google, can you show me a strand of flesh?
2: <laughs> I have more details. Hang on. You guys want to know where it came from? Mm, yeah. So she says that... Small blue markings on her knee, and had a strand of flesh that hung from underneath her armpit to her waist.
0: That's what I was picturing
2: from a her strand, armpit to her waist,
0: just like a giant tassel of
1: just just. It might chilling. have been a skin tag, a big skin tag. Yeah,
2: I think a big skin tag, or a witch's mark. But I love how she's like, mm, "I'm a witch because." I can claim oh, it oh sorry not? no
0: you couldn't you simply couldn't be a witch because
1: you don't have this <laughs> it makes a tick I'm actually like, tell me you're a witch without telling me you're a witch and she just like raises her <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh, well, i really hope we haven't we haven't made fun of like a condition or something no
2: well i mean she says it was a what made her a witch um i think she got rid of it so yeah but um also, as a she prefers to go by the name of Thorn, which is really cool. So she's like Ooh. Rosaline is boring. Thorn is cool, which I agree with. Actually, it's badass. So when she's eight, she moves with her family to Sydney. During her childhood, she um, she sounds like just like the most delightful little oddball. Like she is just she is so much just doing her own thing, carving out her own path. She's so weird. I love it. Oh, really? So, yeah, so she's she's really embracing the witchy vibe. So she doesn't sleep in the house for like three years. She just doesn't sleep in the house for three years. But instead she sleeps in a tent in the garden where she keeps a spider called Horatius at the entrance. And she also has things like lizards and toads and tortoises and dogs and cats and a goat. Maybe <laughs> because she likes them but also probably to keep people out of her tent.
0: Oh, that'll be <laughs> How does she have room for all those animals in her tent? No one can get in the tent anyway. I
2: think that they're probably, they're probably not all kept in the tent, but she does have the spider in the tent. She probably just got the other things just roaming around. But still, there was a big spider called Horatius. Wow. As a child, she apparently would have visions of like a lady in a grey dress or, or a dragon and she'd go into these trance states when she grew up and she would call them big things and little things. And, yeah, she was always super – I guess into other worlds and other belief systems. But as a kid, Ooh. she's not a big fan of other people, as probably you could have guessed by this oh, point. Oh yeah,
0: and I also think her family's probably like, you know what,
2: you probably shouldn't
0: sleep inside. You you want to go outside, be yeah, our guest, go nuts. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you wouldn't <the> spider outside, <laughs> yeah, thorn. So um, yeah, so she's not a big fan. Um, her relationship with her parents is strained, in particular with her mum. Um, Even though she's got a fairly nice middle-class life in her tent, she describes it as being a general wearisome period of senseless shibboleths, shibboleths? prying adults, detestable or depressing children whom I was supposed to like, and parental reproaches. Okay. Righto. Yeah. <laughs> We'd love to see She it. enjoyed her childhood. Apparently she just had a crush on Dracula, um, which is cool. <laughs> so, <laughs> so she... I mean, like if you see the version, I guess, with what's his name? Not Alan. Uh, he plays serious Black, Gary Oldman. He's kind of a sexy Dracula. Creepy but still kind of sexy. But anyway, so she goes to this Church of England's girls' school, which you can imagine this girl and her snakes and her spiders and her strand of flesh and her name Thorn at a Church of England school. You know, she probably wouldn't fit in that well. And so, yeah, in a startling turn of events, she does get expelled. Why? because they say she's having a corrupting influence on the other girls. Ooh, the bad witch. Yeah, well, apparently she's just, like, going around drawing demons and vampires, and they're like, mate, not in this house of God, demon child, hasta la vista, creepy girl. And she gets kicked out. Yeah, I kind of like her. I think she's awesome. What, what, that's why I picked her. What picture, year are huh? we hanging
0: out? What year are we hanging out with right so now? She was
2: born in 1917, so yeah, I guess yeah, around that period. Devil worshiper, um, devil worshiper. Yeah, well, she wasn't. That's the thing. She wasn't a devil worshiper. But the thing is that even from this point, those claims followed her around her yeah, whole life. That's what I mean. Like society yeah. would have been like, <clears throat> yeah, they they freaked out. They were like, she is, she is not. Wow, there's a lot going on with this lady. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah they don't know what to do with her uh, so she starts going to the East Sydney Tech College where she studies under a sculptor who encourages her art she graduates from art college and decides to become a professional writer by this stage she's known as Rowie so she's not Rosaline uh I guess the name Thorne has kind of fallen by the wayside or maybe that was just another name that she was just by. a phase yeah, mom <laughs> just a phase she's generally known as Rowie to her friends yeah that's cool I like that name Rowie, yeah. I think Thorne is cooler, but Rowie's still cool. The Smith's Weekly newspaper decides to publish a bunch of her horror stories in 1934 when she's 16, and then they give her a job as a cadet journalist and then as an illustrator. But before too long, her work is considered just just too gnarly for um, Sydney at that time, and she loses that gig. She moves back into the family home after her mum dies and then she becomes an artist's model. So she, she's, a, she's a module. An artist's model. So she's posing nude nice. uh, for Norman Lindsay who, I look at his stuff, his stuff is like lovely, lots of naked ladies, lots of lovely looking naked ladies just like prancing around, which, you know, good for them I guess. Yeah. So she also works as a waitress, as a kitchen maid at a hospital and as a toy designer. So she's doing a bit of everything. What, what? Oh,
0: my God. She's like a modern-day slashy, olden-day slashy
2: entrepreneur. Like what sort of toys is she designing? Yeah, what's she you know, making? I don't know. Devil toys. No, it doesn't worship the devil. Sex toys. Sex toys potentially. That'll come into it. Devil sex toys. What? Oh, my God. That's where <laughs> Lil Nas
1: X got his inspo from. <laughs> or his most recent film. Yeah, well,
2: do you know what? I watched a, um, a documentary on this woman on the weekend with my uh, flatmate Ashley, and she said she was talking about Lil Nas as well, and I guess the horror around his video.
1: Yeah. So that video
2: is, it made me want to go back to
1: pole dancing and do exercise. That's how inspired I was. <laughs> Taria would be so
2: proud. <laughs> and <I thank> you. <laughs> yeah. So at this stage, she's living in Circular Key and she's starting to read books on demonology and the Kabbalah, which is mysticism. So, she- some interesting stuff. And in 1935, she meets a man called Beresford Lionel Conroy and four years later they get married. Then they go on a hitchhiking trip from Sydney to Melbourne and then back up to Brisbane and Cairns, which is a really long way and I don't really know why you do that, but they would have had their reasons. He gets back to Sydney. He enlists as a commando in the army and serves in New Guinea, Papua New Guinea, during World War II. But his departure leaves her a bit low on money and so she has to live in a stable during this period, which strikes me as nuts. Yeah, living in a stable. No, no biggie to her though. Sounds just. She sounds really itchy, you know. Yeah, She yeah. lived
0: in a tent with goats
2: and frogs and spiders and what? That's true for three <laughs> three years. Yeah, <laughs> she was a kid. So when he gets back, she's like, I didn't like living in a stable. Mm, <laughs> this is this is. How about we pick a more stable job? <laughs> so over. Yeah, we are never ever getting back together. Like ever.
0: I mean, <laughs> if you think about living in Sydney right now. And the places, particularly around my area that people live in, not that my area is dodgy, but it's just an older area. It's an older suburb and it's an expensive suburb, but a lot of young people live here. So people live in pretty shitty houses and pay so much rent for them. So mm. a stable, and to, it's the cost of living. Living in Sydney, may as yeah. well live in a stable. Pretentious
2: squalor mm, for a lot yes. of people. yes. So that's over. She's like, Beresford, bye-bye. And now she's a single lady. So it, take, it takes like until 1951, a long time for them to settle the divorce, but at this stage she's single. So she starts living in a boarding house. And it's the 50s, you said, right? Yeah. Said. Although this is yeah. the 40s, that stage it's just that her the divorce takes a long time to come through. Oh. But she's so she's single, so she's living in a boarding house in the Rocks that's known for being eccentric. And then she decides to give the illustration dream another crack. And she starts working at the monthly mag Pertinent, which is free thinking, it's avant-garde, it's very cool, and it's edited by a poet um, named Leon Blatt, Leon Bat, who thinks she's awesome, which she obviously is. This is mm. when her career really begins. So while working at Pertinent, she meets this guy called Gavin Greenlees. He's around 13 years younger than her but really into the same, same thing. He's really interested in surrealism, the occult and yeah he's become a successful poet with his stuff published in a few different places they become really good friends by around 1949 and decide to do her favorite activity which is hitchhiking again i don't know maybe she doesn't have a car she hasn't seen wolf creek but they just they're hitchhiking again <laughs> well wolf creek has not been made yet so not that's not been for made sure. but she do you not know, she did say she could see the future so mm. Mm. Well, it means she would know
1: where the murderers are. Maybe. So she's one step ahead. Is she
2: Ivan Milat? Is that what we're getting at? <laughs> no. <laughs> Kidding. So they hitchhike to Melbourne to find a place where Norton can exhibit her art. And her art is really cool. It is very weird. I, I feel like weird is a is a bad word, but it's just it's not the sort of art you normally see. So... The thing is that her art was entwined with her magic and the way that she viewed the world. So she would go into trances and then and sort of into self-hypnosis. She would yeah, she would have these visions and she would paint things like serpents and because the thing is that she believed in pantheism, which is essentially the belief that God is nothing and God is everything. And that he all around, it's kind of the worship of the natural world and that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, she was also interested in night and in darkness, so that would be things like Lilith, who was the queen of air and darkness, and she also would paint this guy called Fohat, who was this horned demon with a snake for a phallus. And her stuff was really, really interesting and completely, completely at odds with the culture of the time like she was yeah one of the biggest I guess the beginning of the counterculture movement she was she was really really into all of that stuff and the thing is that her personal deity was pan so pantheism comes from pan pan means everything in in greek and he was the hoofed greek god of the wild he kind of looks like satan which is why everyone confuses him with satan but he's sort of he's more of this goat looking dude and he is he's also kind of the god of procreation and the whole thing is about having sex was like this divine thing and bringing people into the world was what connected you to the world and it, it's all about this sort of circular religion and I really hope I kind of didn't mess up the whole definition of everything but it's quite confusing when you haven't studied it.
1: It's a very different sounding thing to anything I mean I've ever been exposed to yeah I think Revis would be kind of similar and what like religious and iconography we know and things like that. So it's very interesting.
2: And she would paint these things. That's the thing. She would paint Pan and Lilith and all these really interesting scenes and, yeah. So anyway, she's got these 46 paintings that they choose to display at the University of Melbourne's Rowden White Library and they include paintings like Timeless Worlds and Merlin and Lucifer and... Um, the initiate. It might be worth actually just pulling up Rosaline Norton art on Google Images, so you can sort of get an idea of the stuff that I'm talking about. Oh, this stuff is cool. I've got Evanescence playing on the back in my
0: head
1: while I look <laughs> at this art. Okay, okay, I'm vibing. Yeah, mystical kind of. There's a lot of like you said that like horned creature through it. Mm. Mm, this is cool shit. Yeah, but fully, if you didn't know this, you would just think devil. Can I be honest? Like, horned creature, looks kind of evil, not, like, not saying it is, but that's how what I've learnt as good and evil
2: symbols and figures and stuff, it looks like devil. I think one of the ones that, that she displays is called Black Magic that um features a woman and what looks like a panther embracing and it's, like, it's super, looks very sexual. Lots of her works looks very sexual and that combined with, like, the images that people think looks like the devil, blah, 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 people flip out. They're like, what? Is going on
0: so it sounds like it sounds like she was just this gothic kind of troubled chick but it, she was just born in the wrong era so everyone thought she was a witch so she was like yeah fuck it i'm a witch yeah that's basically what happened but uh she's just this cool chick yeah in that likes to wear extra eyeliner and black nail
2: polish like back off and they called the police. And within two days, and the police removed four paintings: Lucifer, Triumph, Individuation, and Witch's Sabbath, for obscenity. And she's charged with obscenity too, making her the first woman in Australia to be charged with this. Wow! But her lawyer argues that there are images in another recently published book called *The History of Sexual Magic*, which were far more obscene. But they allowed that to be published, so she wins the case. But she she's lost a lot of money over this period. Like she's just been hanging around for this court case, and it's kind of financially devastating mm-hmm. so it it takes her a while to um get over this but she makes back up to sydney um with Greenlee's, and they move into a house at 179 Brougham street in king's cross now at the time king's cross was a really interesting area so it's very bohemian there's lots of artists and poets it's also the red light district and one of the areas where lgbtqia people could congregate and she was bisexual she was openly bisexual and places in King's Cross start showing her artwork like cafes and her work starts to gain notoriety and so does she. By this stage, she's lovers with Greenleafs, and they've decorated their house with murals and there's a sign at the door that reads, welcome to the house of ghosts, goblins, werewolves, vampires, witches, wizards and poltergeists. Cool. So it becomes, yeah, awesome. her place becomes a bit of an attraction with lots of people swinging by to see it and the and the eccentric couple that live there. Like they're such characters they start becoming friends with some of the police officers. Like there's some that are like, they're really not that bad. They're just kind of into this pantheism and sex magic. But most of the police are like, no, they're really weird. And we don't like them. Um, mm. and that's how they say it too. <laughs> yeah,
1: that sounds exactly like
2: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, so they keep being raided by the police. The police keep just like raiding their house. Arsholes. Yeah. And in September 1951, they arrest them. They accuse them of vagrancy, which is essentially they could charge, they could lay that charge against anyone that didn't, didn't have a steady job. But then this guy called Walter Glover, he's a publisher. He helps them and then gives them a job as his assistant and then decides to publish a book containing her work and his poetry. Now, I don't know much about this Walter Glover guy, but he sounds like a hero. You know, sounds really yeah. cool. So this book is called *The Art of Rosaline Norton*, and it comes out in 1952. And it has art, including black magic and the rites of Baron Samady, which has a picture of the horn demon faux hat. Um, This is the this is the demon with the snake for for a penis. Like just just really wild stuff. So they want to publish 500 copies of this um, bound in red letter with gold blocking as a ribbon marker, so very fancy books. But then it's banned in New South Wales and then it's banned in America. So, yeah, they wanted to Boring. make thousand copies with with um, the leather one and then one bound in cloth, but they only make about 505 copies, uh, I guess, because, like, it's just it's banned everywhere <laughs> and it's really expensive to make oh. this book. But then Walter's arrested. Everyone keeps getting arrested in this story. Yeah. Like I said, the police are just like, what is with these people and their sexy goats? They must be (laughs) Um, (laughs) fucked. And their snake penises. Yeah. Which just sounds painful. Like I I don't think anyone would find that appealing.
0: Lovers of that said snake penis holder would definitely not have a good time. Or would they? I don't really know. Depends how
1: good the snake is in bed. Depends if the snake knows what it's doing. <laughs> I always end up talking about
2: bestiality every bloody episode. Well, look, there there are, there are tones of that in this. So she's actually considered one of the early animal rights activists. Cool. So she's not going around doing bad stuff to animals. She's a she's she's a cool woman. Um, but you, there's there's definitely symbols and that kind of thing. But I think they're symbols. So that's the thing. So, yeah, so Walter Glover is charged with the production of an obscene publication and Rowie has to go into court to explain herself. Apparently she goes in wearing, like, a red top and a black skirt and a lot of green uh, heels. uh, That's a look. And the court decides that the two images, the adversary and faux hat, are obscene, obscene, I'm telling you, and they're like, take them out of the book for the remaining copies. And Glover is like, ha, 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 obscene. In quote marks and he like blacks out a couple of copies um but leaves it at that which is a kind of minimum effort energy I'm all about in the 14th month of the COVID pandemic <laughs> so, he just like gets a mark and he's like oh well, whatever obscene fuck you guys and he just like scribbles out a couple of images and as my dad would say he made the minimum his maximum that is the story of my <laughs> life <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I I just thought it was funny that the police keep arresting these people, and they're like, "That'll show them." These guys are like, "No, we believe in pan and horned beings and other planes of existence, and you know, goat dudes with penis snakes. Like, you're not going to stop us. We're not. We are not playing mm-hmm. the same game here. We're not operating on the same level. Like, nothing you do is going to stop us because." You are so beneath us. You're not on our level, bro. You're on our level. Do you you um, even lift? (laughs) Do you? Do you even lift? Do you even witch? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Hocus pocus. I am out.
2: (laughs) Hocus, focus. Let's get focused. <laughs> Hocus, brocus. The whole thing leaves uh, Walter Glover brocus. He um doesn't have any money. Oh. <laughs> Poor Walter. <laughs> Walter. He's like, I'm just going to help these two guys out. You know, I'm going to publish their book. Mm. Must have been oh, into Walter. it. So, um, but it's helped her gain publicity. And the thing is that she's not hard to spot. So she's got these super highly arched yes. eyebrows. This short black bob, and she's quite thin, and she's a very distinctive-looking lady. But in 1955, things start going a little bit haywire, or more so than before. So, this mentally ill teenager named Anna Hoffman swears at a police officer, and then she's charged because because they just keep arresting people in this story. I don't know. Um, then at the court hearing, she blames Rosaline, and she says, "Rosaline, my life has fallen apart after participating in a satanic black mass." that rosaline ran and naturally the press goes wild this is the best story ever this is this is fantastic selling newspapers left right and center media beliefs suck norton has never thought of herself as a satanist never she's never been a satanist she's been more of a pagan and she's like excuse me press media you're so stupid um check your facts (laughs) abc fact check rmit fact check Let's get this straight. Then come on my level, and then we can discuss as adults. <laughs> She's Thank just hovering hard. over
1: them all, like check yeah.
2: yourself. Not not a Satanist.
1: <laughs> fuck you. Fuck yeah. you. Fuck you. Fuck you. I will do Heidi.
2: Oh do. And then Hoffman, the girl, she later admits that she was just making it up. So, which isn't cool. No. Not cool. But the papers have well and truly run with the story. They're saying Rosaline is a devil worshipper and has been sacrificing animals and she's like, I'm not doing that. Does, she doesn't do that. That's not her thing. She's into other things like she's um she's into bondage and sadomasochism and she also likes to have sex with gay men and she also is into sex magic because they believed that having sex was a way of, I guess, right. worshipping men and being close to their religion. And so she would have these – she had a coven of people that – they said it could have been like between seven and 300 people, and they're going to trances, and she's trying to do spells and that kind and of thing. And occult. I,
1: firstly, think that just sounds like orgies. Um, and a judgment. And secondly, seven and 300 are very different numbers. Very <laughs> different numbers.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you are having sex with seven people, it may as well be 300. I'm just spitballing here. I feel like there's a lot of limbs a lot of snake penises, got who knows how many people it could have been.
1: There's <laughs> a lot of bits, a lot of So box. she's like, look,
0: I'm going to give you a bracket, yeah. seven to a couple of hundred people in the better ones.
2: I don't know. The thing is that I meant to Google um, sex magic for this podcast. So I could tell you guys what it was, but I'm actually doing this on my work computer and I was like, maybe that's not a good thing to Google. So I'm just going to Google it on my phone according to Wikipedia. Sex magic is any type of sexual activity used in magical, ritualistic, or otherwise religious and spiritual pursuits. One practice of sex magic is using sexual arousal or orgasm with visualization as a desired result. So, yeah, so she would, the story from Teen Vogue, how to use sex magic to manifest your best self. Car. Which sounds like an interesting read. Um,
1: such a weird thing to discuss in the podcast, Lucy. Will you please link me that article? I'd love to read it. Thank
2: you very much. <laughs> I think <laughs> we're all we're all curious. I don't want to I don't want to tell
0: anyone how to live your life, but if you think, oh, you know, I know grandma's been dead for 10 years, but I just really wanted to say goodbye. Oh, no. <laughs> don't do sex magic. <laughs> don't do sex magic. To say goodbye to your grandma on the oh, other side. No, don't Aaron, bring back your grandma through sex magic. You will have Regrets. I haven't done that. I'm not saying. I you should just never.
1: Ah, family. Just my grandmother. If she was to pass, and I brought her back with sex magic, she'd be like, <laughs> "Yes, queen. Yes." I saw what you do your legs, you got that, all that flexible. You get it from me. <laughs> She's still alive, but there, she would love it. Sorry. So how dare you? And my other grandma doesn't speak English, so even if she didn't like it, I wouldn't know. <laughs> Rest in peace, grandmother. <sighs> Okay, so
2: sex magic, sign me up. I'm all about it. During these um, sex magic things, they were sometimes wear masks, and they'd be doing drugs and basically just having a really good time. Good time, yeah. Mm. But the police don't like it. Yeah, they they take a local restaurant, the Kashmir, to court for showing her works in 1955, and then they raid their home her home, and they accuse them of performing an unnatural sexual act. And they find a picture of Greenlees in ritual clothes whipping her butt. So there's an image of this. And they find out later that these pictures had been stolen at her birthday party by two members of her coven. They'd stolen the pictures to take to sell to the Sun newspaper, which bad witches.
1: Ew, that's illegal. Rude. Can't call the police
2: though because they're dicks. Yeah. What a confusing time. Very confusing time. Well, there's something that's happening there. <laughs> but around this time, famous composer and conductor Sir Eugene Goossens travels from the UK to Australia and he's already interested in the occult. He's read a book about her art and he wants to get in touch and she's like, let's hang. So they meet up, they become friends and lovers and he, he participates. He becomes part of the coven. He's, he's into it. But in March 1956, he's arrested after trying to bring in 800 erotic photos, some ritual masks and film into Australia from London. And like I watched this documentary and they were saying they really weren't that bad. Like by today's standards, they're pretty tame. But at the time they were very scandalous and were described as blasphemous. And it ends his career. So he resigns from the Sydney Symphony Orchestra and the Conservatorium of Music. And he goes back to Britain. What the fuck. Yeah, this big deal. He'd been knighted a year earlier. Like the Queen had knighted him a year earlier. Oh then, no. shit.
1: Pullies. That <laughs> yeah. way, way, way way worse stuff going on with the royal fucking family instead of, oh, but he wanted to bring some sexy masks and some sexy videos. Maybe look at your own son who's...
2: Good day. Yeah, well said, Talissa. Yeah, (laughs) mic drop. Allegedly. (laughs) Allegedly. So, yeah, it's pretty bad for him. His relationship with her ends and by 1963 he actually dies. So... And things is kind of falling apart. Just after Goosen's leaves, leaves also gets unwell and he's diagnosed with schizophrenia. And mm-hmm. this is also pretty bad. So apparently she keeps visiting him at the Callan Park Hospital and helps <gasps> him after he's temporarily released. But then he's readmitted after he tries to kill her with a knife during an episode.
0: Oh. Callan Park Hospital, fun fact, that's Callan Park where mom and dad used to live that big park where I used to take Maxie for walks and it's like abandoned. It's like this abandoned oh, <gasps> really? oh. hospital and it's all still yeah. there now. Yeah, it is the coolest Whoa. and creepiest place I've ever been to. It's so cool. It's like this big sandstone like jail thing. Wow. Yeah, mental um, health facilities were not
1: oh. um, good back then. They no. still
0: aren't really but definitely not back then. But the original building is still there and it is pretty epic. Wow, that's interesting. So.
2: Anyways, as you were. So, yeah, in the late by the late 1950s, people have started going to the cross to look for her. Witchcraft is still illegal in New South Wales until 1971, but she decides, you know what? If people's going to call me a witch, I'll be a witch. Yeah. So, she she's like, "Hello, I am a witch." She has interviews, um, there's pictures of her where she's wearing a pointy hat and she um <laughs> tries to explain her her pantheism faith. I don't think she gets very far with that. Everyone's just like, nah, you're a witch.
1: Eh. And she's like, I have layers, like an ogre.
2: <laughs> yeah. Or an onion or a parfait. But she makes money by making charms and casting hexes. One of her friends, however, in this documentary says that whenever she go over to see Rowie, Rowie would ask if she wants a cup of tea and they'd have tea and or sometimes she just wouldn't answer the door because she was being mysterious. But She said she never saw one of Rowie's spells work. She said she's always doing spells and they never worked. Oh, bless her. (laughs) I just, for the record,
1: want everyone to know that if I don't reply to a message, I'm not being rude.
2: I'm just being mysterious. (laughs) Yeah. From that one.
0: I see you, but I choose to not engage.
2: There's stuff going on.
0: Yeah. I also, um, I don't know if this is worth the mention, but one of my favourite gifts that I got when I was younger was a cookbook from my godmother at the time who calls herself my fairy godmother and she gave me this cookbook and it came with a magic wand and every recipe in the cookbook came with a spell oh i had that it was the best thing ever yeah. i was obsessed <laughs> with it and every time you make the cupcakes or whatever you take out the wand and you do a spell it was great the
2: spells never worked no neither i would try i tried. I really tried.
1: Maybe you weren't trying hard enough, guys. I don't
2: know. I tried pretty hard. Remember, didn't (laughs) I tell you, I had like an existential crisis when I was like eight years old and I realised that magic didn't exist. I can still remember Mm -hmm. sitting at the bus stop and being like, it's not real. (laughs) (laughs) Happened in two stages. The first stage was that I really believed that magic would exist, did exist, and that at any point I'll be swept up on a grand adventure. And then I realised I was like, no, Lucy, bloody hell, Lucy, you've done it. And I was like, what's the common theme with all the heroes from these stories? And I was like, the common theme, the common theme, they don't believe in magic. And I was like, I believe in magic, so I'm automatically disqualified because I know too much.
0: Very and then, good
2: point. Yeah. <laughs> and then a few years later, maybe a few years, a few months, I don't know, time blurs at that age, but I was sitting at the bus stop and I was like, it doesn't exist. Magic doesn't exist. And it was heartbreaking. Oh, but darling. then... I realised magic does exist within books. You nerd. <laughs> so, she, um, Rowie, moves briefly moves in with her older ses- sister Cecily before moving back to Kings Cross in 1967, where she lives in a derelict property on Burke Street. In her later years, she becomes increasingly reclusive, probably because she's sick of being arrested and having the <laughs> having the press. Be like, you're a devil worshipper. And she's like, no, I'm not. And she's like, this is getting really boring. I worship So Penn! she stops leaving yeah, the house. And in 1979, she dies of colon cancer. She worshiped oh. Penn until her death. Before she dies, she's r- reported as saying, I came into the world bravely. I'll go out bravely. And there's a plaque dedicated to her on Darlinghurst Road in King's Cross that I was going to see oh. today, but then I forgot I need to go into the office. In this documentary, she is described as sort of the monstrous feminine. And she was someone who struck fear into the heart of the average, which I think is fantastic. Yeah. And she remains the only Australian artist to have had her work destroyed by an order of the cause. And apparently, in her day, she is said to have predicted the outbreak of AIDS, the Whitlam dismissal. And even the exact time of her own death. Oh, wow. And before she died, um, she also apparently predicted um, a national economic collapse around the 90s, which did happen. There was the 89 Black Friday market crash. And she said the country would be divided and there'd be a civil insurrection by 1992. I don't think the civil insurrection happened unless I'm missing a big part of Australian history. But we think about that last little factoid, fact thing, is it? From a book by Anna Hoffman. What? And she was apparently the teenager who, like, claimed that she was involved in these black masses. So, which I can't. And then profited off her. Well, so I'm just, I'm like, I don't know if they're the same Anna Hoffman, but I was like, that's weird. Oh, they are the same. I need to have a stern
1: word with this lady.
2: Who's Anna Hoffman again? The teenager
1: that got to go to court and said it was her fault.
2: Yeah, oh. I don't know if it's the same. I don't know if it's the same Anna Hoffman, but I just thought it was interesting because I was looking at it and I was reading about. it. I was like, wow, all these predictions are interesting. And then I saw the name and I was like, what? Yeah, mm, sauce. That's um the story of Rosalind Norton, the Witch of King's Cross. And there's just there's a poem that I want to read to give you, I guess, one last insight into the way that she viewed the world. Is it
0: a poem, or are you about to put a hex on us, asking for a friend? <laughs>
2: We'll either way. We'll find out. Let's do this. I put the hex on you guys long, long ago. That's why we're friends. Oh, um amazing. So <laughs> there's this poem and it goes, Light's black mag- majesty, midnight sun, Lord of the wild and living stars, soul of magic and master of death, panther of night, enfold me, take me dark, shining one, mingle my being with you, prowl in my spirit with deep, purring joy, live in me, giver of terror and ecstasy, touch me with the tongues of black fire. Fed with the fire at the black opal centre, I drink living silver and moon-quickened streets and star voices ringing. All strangeness is with me, towering, invisible, changing the earth. Hatred and heavens are blending within me. They beat in the pulse of the stars. For a god in my heart cries with primitive splendour. It goes on for a bit longer, but, yeah, wow. That
1: is probably the sexiest poem I've ever read. Ah, oh, I'm
0: levitating now. What's happening? Just kidding. Oh, Lucy, that's amazing. So the
2: the witch of King's Cross, eh? Yeah, I should say this one was actually recommended. This was a someone, one of my oh. mates, Killian, a listener, recommended this this person. So thanks, Yay, Killian. Ellie. Nice. I miss
0: the cross, the good old cross days. That's where I went mm-hmm. out with my fake ID, baby. <laughs> Ah, uh, different times, different happy times. memories. The <laughs> <laughs> King's Cross was lit, but memories. Yeah. King's Cross was lit. Mm. For reference, King's Cross was the place to go out for a big night, huge, big, big night. Yeah, and
1: anything and went had been at the cross. For decades.
0: Decades. Mm-hmm. It was the place to go to for a yeah red light or a uh
1: just a, yeah big night. A big notch. And, and it yeah. was also very, like, LGBTQIA plus. Like, yeah. It didn't yep. kind of very bohemian yep. for a very yep. long time. And then um, some incidents happened in what we call in Australia one punch attacks. The government then decided to shut down the cross, putting all these rules on mm-hmm. clubs and live music venues, which – basically killed the entire cross and moved the people who were going out in the cross to several smaller locations across Sydney which were not built or set up to withstand the amount of people that were hitting them, uh, places like Newtown, et cetera, Mm -hmm. whose lines became fucking crazy and it killed Sydney nightlife because they then put restrictions on all of those places as well. Mm -hmm. So the King's Cross is dead now. I hope everyone's very happy with themselves. Come to Sydney, it's
0: fun. Yeah, it's depressing. Yeah. Anyways, that was an amazing story, Lucy. That was a oh, really thank fun you. one. Yeah, that was cool. Plus, yeah.
1: photos of her are epic. I can't wait for people to see them on the gram.
2: Yeah. Mm. Yeah, she's an interesting lady. Very cool. Very interesting. I figured it was time to move away from my warrior queens. <laughs> <laughs> They're coming back. They're coming back. There's a long list, but I was like, surely at some stage you've got to branch out. So figured to do a... a An artist, yeah. From a warrior to a witch.
0: Well, as we, I don't know if we've mentioned it yet or if this is the first time, but this is our last episode. Just for a little while, we're going to go on a little break, a little TLC, chase some waterfalls, baby, because we
1: need a time out. To- We've story. got a million more stories that we want to tell you about. So we're not going away. We're just no. having a quick pause.
0: Yep. Keep sending us suggestions. We're really we love tired. them. We're so tired. We need to have a massive nap. But in the meantime, keep sending us suggestions. We're gonna finally get around to this Spotify playlist, I promise. And we're gonna try and push out some other cool stuff as well while we're having our little mini break. But we'll be back so soon. So
1: soon. You won't even notice that. You will notice. So, so soon. We're such a big part of your life. We are uh, such a
2: big part. It's going to be a void. It's going to be a massive <laughs> void, weekly hour-long <laughs> void. I really feel for you guys. Um, also, if you're a sponsor and <laughs> you want to jump on board so you can make this my full-time
1: job, I'm open to it. So um If you're a that, witch.
0: Yeah. Um, we'll take you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, true, true, true. I don't want bad hexes, but if you want to, like, trial out a good one
2: on me. Don't oh, know. I'd like a, a nice little... Little hex, liven things up. Prove to prove to me that magic is real. Far out. Still sad about that. <laughs>
0: Um, Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for hanging out for this half of the season. We'll be back soon for more episodes. But keep up with all the things we're doing on uh, social media, Instagram, Fierce Females Podcast uh, and Facebook, Fierce
1: Females of History. You can keep sending your suggestions through with our uh, email, which is fiercefemalesofhistory at gmail.com. And don't forget, if you are on Apple Music, please subscribe Scroll down and give us a little bit of a rating because it helps more people find these stories.
2: Or you can just contact us by any of those means that we just said because you deserve a break too. So just take it easy. Just use the normal modes of messaging. I mean, I'm still sad that no one has tried any of the other ones yet. That we know of. Fuck you all.